Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. All right. Hey, Hope Brooklyn, it's good to see all of you today. Catching up some old friends, making new friends, which is awesome. Um, yeah, my name is Brian. I just want to welcome all of you to our Sunday gathering. Um, so good to see some some of you I haven't seen in a while. Glad to have you back. And if it's your first time here or just visiting, I just want to especially welcome you. Um, here at Hope Brooklyn, we believe that no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. And so whether you're here um, just revisiting uh, faith or just discovering faith for the first time or you're just looking for a church in the neighborhood because you're new to the city, um, we just want to especially welcome you here today. And so um, today we are actually finishing up our series on, um, on wisdom, on the wisdom literatures. Um, if you've been journeying with us for the past couple of weeks, um, you know that Ryan left us off, well, kicked us off with uh, the book of Job. And talking about his friends and the conversations and the discourses he had with his friends. And the thing is, with the conversations that he had with his friends, um, Job and his friends haven't really figured out this puzzle and this piece of suffering. Um, and I think that's something that we all kind of wrestle with and try to understand and try to wrap our heads around. And so I'm not saying I have all the answers for suffering today. So uh, if that's what you were looking for... Um, I don't know. <laughs> I hope that God speaks to you in a divine way. But um, I, wanna, I just want to visit this topic of suffering. And um, we're landing in a part at the end of the book of Job where all his friends have finally talked. Job has talked with his friends. And now God's stepping in. It's like the kind of the, the, the buildup, the climax of the story of God's response to Job. Um, and we're going to kind of just look into that, peer into that a little bit and then see what we can learn from it. But before we start, um, can I just pray for us? Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for gathering us here today. We thank you for a, a place and a space to worship and to come and encounter you. Um, God, I don't know what our expectations were when we stepped into this place or when we woke up Sunday morning or when we registered last week to come to church and to be in this space. But Father, I pray that you may really just meet us here. Meet us in our joys, meet us in our pain, meet us in our anxiety, meet us in our fears, our expectations, our hopes. God, I just pray that you may become real and tangible in our lives. And Father, for those of us who are seeking you in a way where it is just supernatural, may we not continue to live in doubt, but really come with expectations that you will work in our lives. So we thank you for this opportunity, um, this privilege, to be, and a blessing to be able to meet in this space and to worship you and come to know you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So... I'm going to be covering Job chapter 38 to 42. Don't worry, I'm not going to read the entire four chapters for us. Um, but I'm just going to cut out some excerpts and for us to examine and to look at. Um, if you ever have a chance or if you're just bored during the week or just inspired, whichever one comes first, um, take a look at Job chapter 38 to 42. It is, a, it is an amazing discourse that God has with Job. Um, and I'll unpack it a little bit here today. But obviously, due to time constraint, I'm not going to be able to unpack all four chapters fully. Uh, but I'll, I'll do my best. Uh, before we start off, I just want to kind of just start us off with a question and a thought. How do we deal with suffering? Right? And this is something kind of like I think it's very close to home for us because of the last 
year and a half, two years we have. Um, and, I, and as I have conversations with friends about it, um, our generation, and I mean, we're going we're to be unpacking this for decades. Um, we're still in the survival mode, um, believe it or not. It seems like things are kind of pushing back to normal. We're able to gather in a space like this. But this has been a very traumatic two years. Um, you know, even no matter how good of a spirit we have, no matter how much of an optimist we are, it's been painful. Um, loss of relationships, loss of home, right? And just some of our emotions that we never felt before, we had to experience being isolated and quarantined. Um, it is, it's, it's a really painful season for us. And I know our survival mentality kicks in and be like, we're good now, right? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm back to working, I'm going back to going to my job, I feel like I've settled down. But I, I'm, I'm so sure that years from now, we're going to be looking back on this. Like, what blows my mind is that we're going to be in a history textbook somewhere, right? Because this wasn't just a, you know, our, our own country type. It was a global pandemic. And we lived, we're living in this time. And so I think all of us, when the pandemic hit, we all had to deal with this kind of struggle and this tension and this suffering in different ways. Um, some of us might are the type we just, we just binge, right? Like we just watch every show on Netflix to just like zone out the world. Um, maybe for some of us, we just kind of, you know, became very, you know, secluded, just like leave me with my own thoughts. Let me just be myself. Or maybe for some of us, we got on as many Zoom calls as possible. Let me socialize in every way possible, right? I just want to feel connected. A lot of phone calls, right? Like we're Zooming with people that we never talked on the phone for for like years, right? It's just doing everything we can to feel connected and to feel like a human being, right? Maybe we picked up a whole bunch of hobbies. We got, you know, some, bake, some baking, you know, some chefs. Um, you know, the whole idea of I want to become productive at least, right, coming out of this pandemic, and then, like, two years later, I'm like, I still have zero skills and zero, you know. Um, I just spent a lot of money on stuff that I didn't, I'm never going to use again. Um, but we've all dealt with this in different ways. And in moments, that are tra- uh, moments in our life of trauma, and that's exactly what Job went through. If there's any example of trauma, it's his life. This man has lost everything, everything. And even his health, right, it was in jeopardy. And... Every t- anytime we experience trauma, our defense mechanism comes in, right? And we begin to deal with it in different ways, whether it's anger, right? Whether it's just, you know, just high sense of fear, loss of sleep, anxiety, stress, right? Or we try to just, you know, block it out, try to just have much, as much fun as we can to try to fill up our lives, to try to ignore the trauma, the pain, and the suffering. And the thing is, we still haven't figured out this puzzling thing of why suffering happens. And I'm not going to unpack all of that because that's a much longer discourse and conversation of, you know, of, of good and suffering. But I want us to look at this passage of these passages in 30 and 42 of how Job responds to suffering. And we've seen bits and pieces of it with him and his friends. But when, now in chapter 38, God comes and he begins to speak. So I want to look at um, Job chapter 38, 1 through 3 first. It says, then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I'll question you and you shall answer me. I mean, that sounds terrifying, right? <laughs> like out of the storm, God begins to speak. Um, and in the English standard version, it's actually even harsher. It's like, who is this that darkens my counsel, right? <laughs> but 
as we look into this, into these verse, three verses, a, a quick glance, even culturally, right, like where I came from, this is like a beating is coming, right? <laughs> like my mom is going to lay the hammer down, right? I was just talking of Dave um, and Downey. When they first saw me preach, I was like in like pretty much in a suit, right, because my mom put the fear of God in me as a preacher, right? <laughs> um, and if she saw me today, Oh, man, please do not send any pictures to my mom. So <laughs> like, you're preaching in sneakers and a T-shirt um, and jeans. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we look at this initial passage and we're like, man, this is, this is frightening. This is terrifying, right? Brace yourself. But when we get to actually look at this passage and look at the, the, the words, it's not this cultural thing maybe some of us experience where, like, a leader or an authoritative figure or, like, our parents is, like, just, you know, trying to chastise us, trying to punish us. It says, even in the word, it says, says, then the Lord, right? In the Hebrew, it's actually, they use use Yahweh. And Yahweh is a a term and 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 a word where God appears to someone that is close, that he has a covenant with, that he has a promise with. Right, so God is coming from a place not saying, like, I am the authoritative figure. You be silent. Let me speak. But he's saying, let me remind you of the covenant. He is coming to Job in a very close and intimate way. He says, 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 I'll question you and you shall answer me. And and this word answer is actually more of a dialogue versus, like, sit there and listen. Um, I remember when I used to get in trouble with my mom, um, I just stared at the clock, right? And it would be, like, two hours just going by. Of just being lectured when I was a kid. And those two hours felt like an entire day, right? The, the, the seconds and the minutes could not go faster, right? And then, you know, it's always a rhetorical question. It's like, and what do you have to say for yourself? I'm like, this is a trick question, right? Because <laughs> if I talk right now, this conversation's gotta go another hour, right? Just say yes and I'll never do it again, right? So in, this, in these first three verses, God's kind of setting up Job for this position, be like, okay. I'm going to inform you. I'm going to educate you because clearly from the conversations you and your friends are having, you don't know the full picture. You don't know the, the, the great picture that I'm going to try to draw for you. Job is completely in the dark because he lacks the counsel and knowledge. So God is filling in. God present, presents himself as Yahweh, someone, of a, someone that he has a close covenant with. And let me give you a quick snippet of the dialogue, because this goes on actually for a couple of chapters, but I'm not going to read the whole thing. But in the following verses, it says, God says to Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched the measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? I mean, that's a pretty beautiful picture, right, that God is bringing Job through. It's like kind of like narrating the story, right? It's like imagine this when, the, when I was creating the earth, right? Um, so parents, if you want to, you know, if your kid is in trouble, try the strategy. Take a page out. Start, like, mentioning the dimensions of the house, the, the recipes that you use. You know, do you know how many grams of sugar was in that, right? Just start, like, just, and they'll be so confused, right? <laughs> They're like, yeah, I don't know you. <laughs> um, but God begins to lay it out, and then he begins to go on this journey of nature, of not just how he created everything, but re- helping Job realize, like, hey, things exist even without you, right? 
It's like the mountain goats in the mountain, right, are giving birth without your help, right? He's not trying to belittle Job, but he's trying to draw this picture. Do you, I want you to know who I am. I am. I am the God of all creation. And sometimes in our current modern theology, we ignore that aspect of God, the awe, the splendor, the glory, the power and might of God, because we just want him to be our friend, right? We just want him to just be this loving Jesus, right? Everyone just come. I love everyone. But in the reality, like, we breathe because he exists. There are things happening outside of our world right now, believe it or not, outside of Brooklyn, <laughs> that are happening without our help, right? I know as productive people, right, as, as driven people, we like to think that we have everything in control. But this, these last two years showed you could have a 10-year trajectory. You can make all the plans you want. Sometimes things are just going to go out of control. We do not have the control that we think that we have. So God responds to Job. He talks about his greatness. He, for, for two chapters, he essentially goes on to explain to Job. He explains to him who really controls justice. Right? Kind of just drawing this picture for him. And interesting enough, the one thing I do want to point out is that in the following chapters, one thing God doesn't do is he doesn't explain to Job why he is suffering. Because if you look in chapter 1, like in the beginning, we understand that God and Satan had this pretty much this, you know, using Job as an example of the faithful servants. Right? Does Job really... You know, Satan's like, he only loves you because you give him good things. He only loves you because you've blessed him. Let's see if he still loves you after everything is gone. See, if I'm, if I'm God, I'll just explain to Job, this is why this is happening, okay? Just, stick, just suck it up, right? <laughs> but he doesn't. He never once explains to Job why he's in the midst of all the suffering. He doesn't, he doesn't explain the process of it. Because suffering is not a linear outcome. It's not a linear thought. It's not because X, Y, Z happens. But what he, do, God does, what he does is he assures Job, it's not because of your sins, right? A lot of times we think, I'm suffering because I've done something bad in the past, right? How many have thought that, right? Even though, like, our theology, right, might correct itself and be like, oh, that's not how God works. He's gracious. But we can't help to think, this has occurred, this has happened in my life because God's punishing me for something I've done in the past, See, but God is not this vindictive God that works like that. So God doesn't explain to Job the why. He doesn't reveal the fact of what's been happening behind the scenes. And God doesn't really give, he doesn't like kind of, he doesn't justify himself in the way we think he should. Right? Job essentially for chapters is like, explain yourself, God. Right? Like this, this is what my friends are saying. They're saying I'm suffering because of my sins. Right? Like I must have done something wrong. It's like, God, just explain to me. I just want to know. I just want to know why I'm suffering, right? Is, is that too much to ask, right? I'm not asking for the suffering to go away. He's like, just explain to me why. But God doesn't. And just to share just a little bit of my story in the past year, some of you that have been part of Hope Brooklyn kind of have been following and trekking. Um, I shared here and there. But, man, this past year has been a brutal year for me and my family. Um, and... I, I realized how brutal it was, um, obviously in the moment, but in the past week when, um, as part of a course, I was asked to do a genogram. And if you don't know what a genogram is, is like you're able to kind of track your family history, and you get to be able to track a lot of the attributes and characteristics of like what has been passed down, right? Like 
um, let's say, like your parents' attributes, characteristics, what reminds you of your parents, right? You get to see the brokenness and disconnect or the good things that have happened in your family lineage. And as I was doing my genogram, it was the first time I've done this exercise in six years where um, as I got to my grandparents, I had to actually draw a line across all of my grandparents. Um, both my grandfather and grandmother passed away last year within a month span, and my other grandmother, my last grandparent, passed away a month ago. And this past year, I've just been really struggling. I'm going to be honest. And it was so weird that I landed on this because I really felt like Job in the first few chapters, <laughs> right? Like, just hand and fist shaking to God. Why? Why? And as I, as I was even preparing this sermon, I'm like, this is really difficult because do I internalize all this, <laughs> right? So as I'm preaching this, I'm like, I'm journeying with all of you, <laughs> right? This past year has been brutal. Um, it was a lot of unexpected things. My grandmother passed away, um, and because of COVID, we couldn't spend much time with her because she was in a, in a senior care center. So we, just, uh, we you know, you saw something we see it online, like visiting your grandparents through the window. Like, that was my experience for the past year. And then she passed away on Christmas. A month later, um, and during that time, you know, my grandfather just had a swollen foot. Healthiest man I've known, just swollen foot. And had to go to the ER. And then at the ER, you know, he was, such, he was in such good spirits. He's like, I'll be home in a couple of days. And we're just running some tests, waiting for results. He looked good. We were visiting him every day. And then within a day, we got the test results saying he has a week left. And so... That happened within a month, so I didn't even have time. My family and I, we didn't even have time to process my grandmother's grief, like the grief of losing my grandmother and then losing my grandfather within a month of that. And I'm like, okay, the worst has come, you know, everything has passed. And then last month, I get a phone call from my mom saying my other grandmother has passed away. And so I was, as I was doing this genogram, it was, it was painful but very, like, you know, liberating in my mind to understand, wow, the, the impact this has on me. Right, crossing out my grandparents for the first time. And I felt like Job. I'm like, God, give me an answer. Right? And I even thought that, what, what have I done? <laughs> right? Is there some, some sin that I'm living in that this is part? And even though theologically I know that's not the correct answer, I can't help but to feel that. And sometimes in moments of suffering, it's not the most sobering thoughts that come to the mind. Right? It's a lot of painful, you know, struggles, painful tensions. And... Ironically enough, during COVID season, I started, a, you know, my friends and I started this book club, <laughs> and we met on Zoom, and for some reason, all the books we read were related on, like, lamenting and suffering. Um, so uh, we read through this one book, um, and Tim Keller, he, he writes a phenomenal book on suffering. And so if you ever want to take a look at it, um, please do. But I'm going to just give a couple quotes out of it. But one of the things that he said in the book is, while other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joy, Foreseeing the coming sorrows, Christianity empowers its people to sit in the midst of the world's sorrows, tasting the coming joy. And I thought about that. And like how much of our lives, right, we try to surround ourselves, right, in the, in the midst of life's joy. Just soak it all in, right. And especially in a day of social media where everything you see is just curated, edited, you know, it's, it just fits the palette of joy, Right. We, we try to live in life's joy, live in the moment, and then when suffering comes, we're so confused. We're, we're, we're like blown away, like, why is this happening? Right? What have we done? How do I deal with this? But the unique thing about Christianity is this, and we're going to see this in the, in, the, in the conversations of Job and God, 
if we truly believe that God exists, Christianity is unique because we sit empowered in, in, the, in the midst of the world's sorrows. It's not surprising to us. And I'm not saying we just go around becoming cynics, right? It's like the world, just nihilism all the way through. Like, world is doomed, right? Like, life sucks. It's just going to be pain and sorrow. But we, we sit with the world in its pain and suffering. We sit in the midst of the sorrow. And the, the, the brilliant thing is that we get to taste the joy of God day by day. We get to taste the joy of the kingdom that he promises. And as this conversation happens, finally, you know, a couple of chapters after God is revealing the wonders and the beauties of creation and all the things that he is in control with, right? Job finally answers in 42. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I had heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And so I just want to make sure that we understand this last line very carefully. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Like he's not just like, you know, self-loathing. Like he's not just hating himself. He's, he's repenting for not, not complaining about the suffering, but the direction of how he, he approached it. He's like, God, now I, I see and it's visible to me that you were there all along. It's visible to me that it's not because of something that I have done. And there are things that Job is admitting here in humility that he's like, I'll just never understand. A commentator um, says this, Francis Anderson. The very fact that God does not come forward as the friends did with the list of Job's sins itself is sufficient proof that this was not needed. That God speaks at all is enough for Job. All he needs to know is that everything is all right between himself and God. Knowing that, he does not care what happens to him. It is the assurance that is restricted by the Lord's speeches. That is the assurance that Job receives. That him and God, there's still a relationship, there's still reconciliation between him and God. There's an assurance that God is sufficient for him. And I know, once again, this is all head knowledge, right? It's, It's easy to just say, hey, God, you're in control, so whatever happens in my life, come what may. But going back to my, uh, sharing my, the piece of my story, in the midst of that pain and suffering, you don't see that picture. It's hard. In, in the midst of grief and loss, it's painful. When we lose our jobs, when we lose friendships, relationships, when we lose the way of life, it's hard in that moment to just, just to capture and to gravitate towards the, the, all, the truth that God is there, Right? And that is in come part where to strengthen that muscle and that spirit comes in repetition in spending time with God in our daily lives. And so to share that piece of my suffering, when that happened with my grandparents, um, man, I wanted to disconnect everything from God. I was like, I'm, I'm serving you faithfully. I'm doing all these things, right? I I, I, I like, my grandparents, if anything, my faith has been transferred over to me and passed on to me because of my grandparents, right? They, every morning when I used to live with them, and 
just to share that relationship. I, I grew up with my grandparents. They raised me since I was a little kid. Um, and I used to hate it at 5.30 in the morning because all I would hear is them reading, Bible, reading the Bible out loud and singing hymns. All right? As a high school student, as a middle school student, that is, uh, that's, not, that's the last thing I want to hear. Right? I want my extra time of sleep. But it just every day, they would spend time singing hymns, reading the word, and praying together. And when my grandparents passed away, for some reason, I remember just the drive coming back, you know, um, for one of my visits. And I remember just listening to worship songs. And um, my, my wife will attest, I rarely listen to worship songs in the car. Um, you do not want to see my Spotify playlist. <laughs> but I remember I was listening to um, just, just worship, and I, I couldn't help but to be just filled with peace. And I know that peace does not come from me. Because at that time, I just wanted to just, to just be angry. I just wanted to be, you know, I just wanted to yell. I don't know at who, but at anyone. I wanted to be just sad. I just wanted to be left alone. But I remember after just listening to one song after the next, I felt this overwhelming peace coming over my heart. And I can't explain it. And this is, this, is the piece where, this, is, this is the piece where a lot of people are like, oh, prove to me God exists, right? And all I can share are these moments in my life where I shouldn't have peace. I shouldn't have joy. I shouldn't have hope. But for some reason, that is the overwhelming emotion in my heart. Now, granted, that doesn't mean my grief is gone. That doesn't mean my pain is gone. They exist in the same place. But Henry Nguyen he says this, suffering invites us, invites us to place our hurts in larger hands. In Christ, we see God suffering for us and calling us to share in God's suffering love for a hurting world. The small and even overpowering pains of our lives are intimately connected with the greater pains of Christ. Our daily sorrows are anchored in a greater sorrow and therefore a larger hope. And that's the only way I can put it together. That we see in the story that Job tried to put his suffering in the hands of his friends. Couldn't find peace. No matter what his friends said. And when my grandparents passed, um, Hope Brooklyn, like you guys have just been a phenomenal community for myself, for my family, for Christy. All the words of just comfort, all the prayers, all the gestures of love. I can't thank you enough. But at the end of the day, it's not all the gift cards, you know, for food and meals that brought the overwhelming peace, right? It comforted me. But at the same time, I couldn't figure out this puzzle of suffering. I was still sitting with it. It's only when I realized that I had to place my suffering in larger hands. I had to place my suffering in the hands of a God who has suffered even greater than I have. I had to place my hands in a God that has suffered just and if not more. That our God and that Jesus is not a stranger to suffering. You know, that's, one, that's the one thing that when I look at Christianity, when I look at scriptures, Jesus was not this glorious figure that came down, right, of the, of the palace doors opening. From birth to death, he was a man of sorrows, Right? There was no luxury that was given to him. He did not, he didn't even have a place to sleep most, most time. He was rejected in his own home. His friends betrayed him. 
The ones that he saved and healed abandoned him. And so I'm always reminded that Jesus is not a stranger to suffering. That Jesus is someone that's been there in the midst of it. That in my suffering, he exists as well. That his presence is with me. And that in my moments of suffering, that he will speak and I'll answer. In moments of my suffering, he'll remind me that he is greater than whatever this world can provide for me. That he is greater than anything that I can ever ask for. And as we look through the chapters, and as God responds to Job, asking, where were you when all these beautiful things were created? Where were you when all these beautiful things are happening? Are you in control? See, Job, it looks like God's kind of bullying Job. <laughs> it, couldn't, it can look that way. It can be received that way. And I've read it that way so many years. But when I look at it in a, more, in a closer examination, you see that God is presenting himself to Job as I am bigger than anything this world can ever provide. At the same time, I feel little because God is so grand and so glorious. But then I begin to remember that this God is my father. This God is my healer. He is the one that will respond to me in my sufferings. That, he, that my suffering is not happening apart from what he sees and what he controls. And yes, you're removed. This holiday season is going to be tough. Um, my cousins and I were trying to figure out, like, what does this really look like for us right, on Christmas Day? Do we celebrate or do we mourn? And I realized the Christian story, the Christian narrative is you can do both. We can mourn, but we have this larger hope in Christ. We can mourn, but we get to worship because there is a coming Savior. We mourn, but we also know that my grandparents are in their heavenly, heavenly bodies, no sickness. And they're singing hymns and reading the word, 5.30 a.m. <laughs> they're, they're at a place where they want to be. And I remember having some of my final words with my grandfather. You know, we asked, hey, do you want to do just further treatment? It's risky. It could be more painful. But I think him knowing that my grandmother has passed, he's like, I just can't wait to be with her. And for me, I, it, we, our family jokes around because my grandmother told my grandfather, you cannot go before me. <laughs> and so I think my grandfather was like, all right, well, my lovely wife is in heaven. Time to go join her. And as painful as it is for, her, for us, that is a larger hope that we place in that this world and this world's suffering is not the end that there's something even more glorious, there's something more beautiful, and that is the hope that we hold on to. See, if we don't believe that there is a God, then we, can't, we don't have that hope. When we don't believe there is, if we don't believe that there is a God, this world is going to be a very painful, sorrowful place and nothing but. We have to create our own joy. We have to create our own hope. We have to control the things that, you know, we think that we control. But I realize as my faith is in God, as Job looks at God and responds to him, he says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I begin to sit back and realize, all right, God, continue to reveal yourself to me and remind me who you are so I can continue to place my hope in you and to recognize your beauty and your majesty. And so I'm going to invite the uh, worship team up at this time. And I don't know where all of you are 
in your personal journeys in life. I don't know if you're experiencing a moment where you're at crossroads, you're experiencing pain, and obviously what I shared of my personal story is like one of, it, it, you know, I'm not saying like, hey, your pain is not relevant if you don't lose a loved one. No, all, all pain is relevant, right? All suffering is relevant, and it all matters to God. It's not, it's not a competition of who's, who's suffering more or who's in pain more, right? We all have different, you know, moments in life where we, we, we feel like we hit this wall. We don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. And my encouragement to you is allow time for God to respond to you. And in the suffering all throughout the story of Job, it's interesting because Job continues to come to God with his pain, right? He's lamenting to God. Even in the moments where he's, he's wrong, <laughs> he's still going to God. And I think that's where we, we miss a lot of the points. We try to manage our own pain. We try to manage our own suffering. If I do X, Y, Z, I could at least take out this much or reduce this much. But kind of like my childlike faith, you know, just when we get hurt as a kid, we just run to our parents, right? We don't know how they're going to do it, <laughs> right? You know, sometimes they have, like, the magic hands, <laughs> Like, you have a bump, and then you just, like, you know, massage it a little bit. Like, we know now that doesn't really work, right? <laughs> but for some reason, as a kid, we're like, oh, yeah, I'm better now, <laughs> right? That soothes everything. And sometimes I think we need that childlike faith as believers. And we, get, we just get to run to God. And he knows, and he exists, and he's present in those spaces with us. He's not absent from your suffering. Even though it seems like it's dark and void, just listen to the voice of God. He'll speak to you as Yahweh, the promise and the covenant.